Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. Well, now it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Maseth. Um, she is a fan favorite around the MHTTC land. I will say we first got to know uh, you when we were looking at provider well-being um, last year. We had a special supplement for that, and that was um, just real, a really wonderful connection. So um, Dr. Maseth is a practicing clinical psychologist splitting time between seeing patients at Snohomish Psychology Associates, teaching as a senior instructor at Seattle U., serving as co-lead for the behavioral health strike team for the Washington State Department of Health. So she's just really sitting around eating bonbons, as we say. <laughs> Her work and research interests focus on resilience and recovery from trauma, as well as disaster behavioral health, worked abroad extensively in disaster response and first responders and healthcare workers throughout the United States. Dr. Masaf also conducts training and provides presentations to organizations and educational groups about disaster preparedness and resilience building within local communities. So you can see why we thought she'd be a great person to bring back Dr. Mosa, thank you so much for being here today. Very, very grateful for your time. Feeling like we need some of your wisdom. Some of your information has just really stuck with our team and those that have attended your, your previous um, webinars and, and podcasts and that sort of thing. So when we were discussing what topics seem crucial right now, you immediately shared this one. And that really made sense to me. As we enter year three of the pandemic, what are some of the important contextual factors to keep in mind as what are influencing, you know, how we're feeling right now? I guess the answer to that question, hi, first of all, good morning. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And I appreciate the opportunity to have some discussion and share some information with you about what it is that, you know, from a, from a sort of disaster contextual recovery perspective, we're struggling with in behavioral health. So the impetus for the topic and the reason why we kind of went in this direction was really based on my own conversations with my colleagues and talking to people. I'm seeing clients, I'm working with patients in, in a community setting, doing a lot of the COVID uh, relief work as well. And the theme of grief and the theme of trying desperately in many ways to sort of transition our thinking from the pandemic as a disaster into what is recovery and what does the long-term look like? How do we reconnect with the things that are invigorating to us as providers when it has been so stressful for such a long period of time and the level of exhaustion is so high? So the underlying sort of reasoning behind this theme and this topic today is really that um, I recognize in my own practice and my work and that of my colleagues that 
there is a necessity. I'm not going to say it's optional. I'm going to say it's a necessity for us to talk about the losses and the toll that has been taken over the last couple of years in order to effectively turn the corner and work through what we've experienced um, so that we can effectively re-engage. I don't think it's going to be very likely that we're going to find a lot of vitality unless we can appropriately work through as, as you know, behavioral health folk, we understand the value in that, right? We need to work through what we've experienced in order to sort of move forward to a healthier degree. And I think that's what we'd all like to do. So that's where the, the sort of topic about grief and vitalities, the seeking of vitality in reconnecting with our work came from. That's really helpful. And yeah, it, it's so much of what you share is, is so relevant in your you know, I remember when we first met, you know, it was sort of what wave were we on at that time, but it's now just countless waves and how many other things um, have happened. What have you seen and heard about how all of this is affecting supervisors and leadership? Because Mm -hmm. having my own direct service and management and supervisory experience, it just seems like the the field was already pretty difficult. And I think COVID Mm -hmm. has enhanced and shined a light on all the disparities that, you know, are in many aspects of our, of our lives, but supervisors and leadership, you know, it wasn't an easy go before, nor is it for direct service staff. I don't mean to take away from that, but I think for supervisors who I I heard once, you know, you get pushed up the nonprofit ladder and I can completely Mm -hmm. empathize with that and you may not be prepared. Um, So what are you hearing right now about how all of this is affecting leadership and supervisors? Well, number one, I just want to acknowledge that the degree of burnout um, across everybody in healthcare professions and in education. So the, the, the extent to which your role may be combined as a leader, kind of providing support and educational, not like pedagogy to people, but educational support, training people maybe, um, as well as direct service and operating in a supervisory capacity. Like that degree of burnout is unlike anything any of us have ever seen in living memory. So the complexity of the pandemic and the length of time has built upon itself to add to stress has been a very unique set of circumstances. That's number one. But the second thing is, is that uh, the leaders that I've been speaking to over the last several years have really been in a position where they feel like they're on this tiny little balancing point of helping manage other people's experiences, overseeing from a business perspective, like what's the best thing for my team and how to manage the business goals at hand. And then the the other thing that's constantly pulling is that you're not immune. You're not on an island from this. You have your own family situations. You have your own financial or job stress that's, that's separate from the actual obligations that you have professionally. So people in leadership are actually being pulled in an additional set of directions potentially, which has added to some of that burnout that I was mentioning a second ago. It's very, very complex. And I want to acknowledge that leading through crisis is it's an exceptional task for people, and it requires an exceptional level of perseverance. The fact that you're all here, the fact that you're all working on this um, as we move forward kind of collectively, it says to me you know, a great deal about the commitment to the work that you've already done. It's really, really essential for leaders to recognize the power in, and, and I would say mission critical element of taking care of yourself so that the people on your team see you doing that, the, mo- the power of social learning and modeling and the necessity for leaders, leaders to, to show good boundaries and to have clear, healthy, resilience oriented behaviors just for your own sake, right? That the trickle down effect is that your team and the people who report to you see that and do that as well. So it's really, it's complicated. And I think that being pulled in a 
an extra level of a different direction uh, complicates things for people who are in leadership positions, for sure. In your experience, how do issues of equity and inclusion affect, you know, grief and vitality? So many communities experiencing before COVID, you know, historical Mm -hmm. trauma and oppression and equities and societal disparities, but also I imagine every community, every person has unique strengths and resources. So I guess I'm wondering in all the the work you've been doing, um, how do you, how do you see equity and inclusion and and those issues coming into play right now with, with trying to survive a third year of this pandemic? Something that I think has been very clear for most of us since the beginning is that the pandemic has been highly disproportionately um, impacting certain groups. So so marginalized communities and, and groups and communities who have experienced systemic racism and uh, discrimination are entering a disaster situation in terms of an impact from a different perspective, right? There's a different set of social and cultural experiences that go with that, which complicate things. So the answer that we give in clinical psychology is that it all depends, right? But what you were mentioning a second ago about unique strengths and resources that's absolutely true. It's not reasonable, I don't think, to say make a bl- blanket generalization that it's harder or easier. I think that there are different sets of opportunities, but I also think that when you're coming in with um, systemic challenges that other people don't experience, it 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 can be certainly additionally challenging. But at the same token, there might be resources and strategies that you have already honed and brought to bear on your experience that ha- can help you with additional adversity. It's not a math problem. It's not like A and B equals something. It's much more complicated than that. But I've, I've been asked this question a lot when it comes to serious mental illness, because the research shows that with serious mental illness, diagnostically, in general, people tend to do a little bit worse after large-scale disasters. And that's not universally actually true. More updated research is showing that sometimes people who have highly developed coping skills and strategies and a plan that they already use um, were able to enact that plan when it got really, really rough. And other people who had never had a plan before because they hadn't needed one were at sea and didn't know what to do and where to start. So I'm not, it, it's a it's a parallel, but they're not obviously the same thing. When it comes to issues of equity, we know unequivocally that the pandemic has not been an equal opportunity disaster. It has certainly shined a spotlight, as you mentioned, on inequities that existed previously and exacerbated those in terms of resource allocation and the idea of interaction with the medical community in general, people interpreting correctly symptoms and the medical community acknowledging what people are actually really reporting. That has been a big challenge. Um, We call it sanctuary trauma, the idea of going to the doctor and not being believed, that kind of a thing. That is symptom of a bigger inequity issue for sure. So there isn't a simple answer to that question, <laughs> but of course, I think not, it complicates have to, it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. and, you know, this, this dawns on me just in a flash while you were talking is perhaps for some of us or any of us that, you know, certainly we can't know everyone's experience. There's no way to do that. But I think to just acknowledge that, imagine this stress that everyone is experiencing is just a little insight into what just constant stress from any number of things that are happening. Um, yeah. And so I think that's that's a fair point that you're sharing. It's just, it's highlighting disparities. This is certainly true in the, in the behavioral health and mental health field. 
Um, yes. We know there's a mass exodus and the great quit and all of that. Um, so that's just especially hard on on supervisors, but also who who has to stick around, who is getting um, the brunt of all the work and the the stress in the field. Yes. So let's end on a let's end on perhaps a light at the end of whatever tunnel we're in. I, I'm not sure anymore. Given your experience and your specific work around these challenges, what gives you hope? You know, you've hinted at that, but what gives you hope that we can put a path forward towards vitality despite all of these things? Because I know you've done this work for a long yes. time and you, you yes. remain hopeful and I'm, I'm excited to hear about that today. I'll start by saying that hope is the most foundational of one of my core values. It's the thing that I that I balance things on, basically. And hope for me is really based on a lot of the experience and disaster work that I've done that you're mentioning, where the reason why I know we're going to be okay is because that's what we are. That's what we do. That's what people do. And I, I haven't lived through a pandemic either, but I can tell you that in any combination of critical incidents and disasters and large and small scale underlying, and or, or, sorry, I should say, overlapping discrimination and marginalization and inequity, humans are incredibly capable and incredibly resilient. And that is fundamentally part of our baseline DNA for all of us as human beings. And so it's challenging to, to bring that to front of mind when we are going through another quarantine and someone else quit and the budget just got cut. However, at the end of the day, the tiny little interactions that we have with each other professionally and personally really, really matter. And at the end of 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, things will look a little bit better and a little bit different than they do now. And I believe that fully. And that's part of why I enjoy speaking about these things is because I don't think you know, that that's what the research shows, but it's also things, stuff that I've personally witnessed in terms of what humans are capable of. So it's very reassuring to me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Very, very excited always to talk with you. And, you know, thank you so much for this informative conversation. It's always great to speak with you. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.